0: What's up, USG fam? Welcome back to the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and I'm excited to share with you our third release of seven special edition podcasts that will feature messages from our lineup of speakers during the first ever Christians Working in Sports Conference this past summer. This week, will feature a message from keynote speaker and best-selling author, John Gordon. In his message, John talks about what it means to love serve and care as a christian working in the sport industry if you like this content you won't want to miss the 2024 christians working in sports conference on june 21st and 22nd in minneapolis minnesota click the link in the description of this podcast to visit the cws conference website to register or learn more about next summer's conference with that here's john gordon's message from the 2023 CWS Conference.
1: All right, so we're we're a team today. When I chant one, two, three, you're going to say CWS, okay? I'm going to say we are, and you're going to say CWS. We are CWS, okay? We are? CWS. We are? Come on, more than that. Let's go. We are? CWS. One more. We are? All right, we're a team now. You guys feel like we're a team? All right, this is awesome. So I get to work with a lot of teams, and I was speaking to the Colorado, Colorado Rockies during spring training, and um, I talked to them about high state of mind, low state of mind, and after my talk, they were going out, and they were, they were crushing the other team. I mean, they were playing amazing. It was their best spring training game of the spring training season, and Clint Hurdle was there. He was a, a manager for the, the Pirates, and now he's an advisor for the ownership and the GM, and, and so I'm like, guys, high state of mind, man. It worked. High state of mind. Clint said, John, the guy who just hit the three-run homer, he speaks Spanish. He didn't understand a word you said. And so I get to work with a lot of teams. When uh, Matt Ryan was a rookie quarterback and Mike Smith was a rookie coach, you remember that, Mike? Rookie coach, rookie quarterback, they went from four and 12 to 11 and five. And then I worked with the Rams when Sean McVay took over as as the head coach and they went from four and 12 to 11 and five. So am I the reason for their success? Of course not. I spoke to the Cleveland Browns. (laughs) No Cleveland Brown fans here or, or workers here, okay. Let's cut that from the tape. But anyway, I'm not a miracle worker. I work with teams, but I'm not a miracle worker. And one thing I've learned, it's, it's never the talk. It's never the book. It's always the leadership. It's always the culture. It's always the teamwork. It's always the mindset, how we show up and how we work together as a team to make a greater impact. That's what it's all about. Like, how can we be a great team? And so years ago, I'm at the FCA sports camp, lacrosse camp with my daughter, my good friend, Dan Britton is there. Now, Dan is a, is a marathon runner. He runs a six-minute mile for the entire marathon. And so the first thing he says when I arrive is, hey, John, you want to run with me tomorrow? I said, no, Dan, I don't want to run with you tomorrow. He said, just five miles. I'm like, no, I haven't run five miles since college. No, I don't want to run with you tomorrow. He's like, fine. So he and our good friend, Jimmy Page, they ran, and they were energized. I mean, they, they felt great. I was a little jealous. And that night, I saw a Dan, speak to the campers. I was there to speak to all the coaches. So He was speaking to the campers, and he truly inspired them. I saw kids weeping, giving their lives and their hearts to Jesus, and I was just so fired up. I said, Dan, I am running with you tomorrow. So the next morning, we got up, and we're running through the battlefields of Gettysburg. It's 6 a.m. The sun is coming up. It was such a, a beautiful day, and I was so energized that first mile. But by the third mile, I was regretting my decision. I'm huffing, I'm puffing. I'm like, guys, guys, I, th- I think we should just stop here right now and honor all the soldiers that fought here. They're like, no, John, come on, keep going, keep going, let's go. Fourth mile. I wrote a book with these guys called One Word That Will Change Your Life. So they're shouting out one word to me one word, persevere, one word, believe, one word, grit, John. I was like, one word, die. I got up the next morning and As I couldn't walk, my legs felt like cement. It occurred to me, if I was by myself, I definitely would have given up in that third mile. No doubt about it. But because I had my team with me, pushing me, challenging me, encouraging me, and yes, praying for me, because they did pray for me a lot on that run. God, please help John. I made it to that fifth mile. We are better together. And then together we accomplish amazing things. No one creates success. Alone. We all need a team to be successful. And that's why Team CWS is so important. Like, we are here as a team to make an impact together, to do that, to go out there in this world and as a team, the body of Christ, to impact more and more people because we need each other and we need a team. And there are three words I want to share with you today just three words that allow you to be a great teammate, that allow you to make a greater impact, that allow you to be a great leader. Like, these are the greatest success principles of all. And that the first word, is love, it's love. And we know the power of love because it's the most powerful force in the universe. And if we wanna understand the power of love, John Orberg years ago said, if you were a betting man, who would you have bet on? The Roman empire or a small Jewish rabbi with 12 incompetent followers? 2000 years later, we name our kids, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and our dogs, Nero and Caesar. He said, Jesus turned the world upside down through the power of love, the power of relationships. And Jesus taught us the power of love and taught us to love, the very essence of love. He said, love the God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Love God. Love others as you love yourself. Why do he tell us that? Because when we live with that love, we are so much more powerful. We can make such a greater impact when we focus on that love. I think about my grandmother. My grandmother made the most amazing soup, and she loved to cook. And she was a really large woman. So when you went for a hug, you didn't know if you were coming out. And when you ate her food, you were loving her back. And so she was this great cook, and she made this great soup. And, and after she passed on, other people tried to make the same recipe, but it, but it never out as good. I'm convinced her love made the difference. Do you have something in in a dish in your family that someone makes and other people try to make it, but it just doesn't come out as good? I used to be in the restaurant business and different cooks could try to make the same meal and do everything exactly the same way. And yet it still comes out a little different. We can't separate who's making the food from the food. We can't separate the soup from the soup maker and we can't separate the leader from the culture, the team from the culture. We can't separate what you do and the love that you have. The love that you put into it determines the quality of it. The essence of the love inside you will transform your relationships. It will transform your team. It will transform your organization. It will transform your community. It will transform this world when we live with that love and we work with that love. Now, that that love is so powerful because it also helps us overcome the fear that is often sabotaging us and draining us and paralyzing us. We live in a world right now where there's more fear, uncertainty, and anxiety than ever. Do you hear that around these days? The root for the Greek word of anxious means to separate and divide. And so fear separates and it divides. Negative thoughts separate and divide us. When you feel anxious, you feel divided, you feel separate. We have an enemy whose sole goal is to separate us and divide us and weaken us and make us feel powerless. This is from the new book I just wrote. It comes out literally this week on Tuesday coming up. It's called The One Truth. Every can, everything can be explained in terms of oneness and separateness. There's, there's an evil force that is always trying to separate us and divide us. And there's a power. God is always trying to unite us back to himself. And he does it through love. See, we were made for relationship. God is a relational God. And so we're at our best when we are relational with each other and with God. God in himself, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is literally a relational God. Isn't it interesting that when God heals you, it's actually the relationship of God that is healing you. So it's interesting that, of course, we heal in a loving relationship. So we love others. We're able to help them heal. When we live with that love, we, we heal ourselves. And so as I wrote this book, I realized that we all have a hole in our soul, H-O-L-E. And there's a God who's always trying to make us whole, W H O L A. And he does it through love and forgiveness. How does he do it? How does he do it? Well, he showed me an acronym, WHOLE, W H O L A. The W is walk with God. See, God wants to walk with us. He wants an intimate relationship with us. I think of Jesus holding his arm out, his arms and saying, come to me. That's what he said, come to me. He wants an intimate relationship with us. Come to me. Walk with me. Live life with me. Live life with me. I will take your burden. I will take your pain. I will take your past. And I will give you a, a new life. Walk with me. And that leads to the H. I will heal you in this relationship. See, God wants to walk with us and wants us to walk with him so he can heal us. And this was my journey. I grew up in a Jewish-Italian family. A lot of food, a lot of guilt. A lot of wine, a lot of whining. My dad was a New York City police officer, undercover narcotics. He was shot a few times. He wasn't very positive, my dad. He was a very loving man, but one of the most negative guys on the planet. You would get up in the morning. Hey, good morning, Daddy. He'd say, what's so good about it? My dad was Al Bundy before Al Bundy was Al Bundy. Some of you have no idea what Al Bundy is. I just realized. Anyone not know who Al Bundy is? Raise your hand if you don't know how Al Bundy is. Okay, we'll talk later. We'll talk after this. we are gonna do a Q&A if we have time, so we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> and so, so that was my dad. Like, literally, we're at the dinner table talking about our future. My brother and I. We're teenagers. Hopes and dreams, there's our dad. Oh, yeah, I can see when you guys are older. The law firm of useless and useless. That was our pet names, by the way. And, and then when I first started speaking, he said, I can't believe people pay you to speak. When you were a kid, we paid you to shut up. And so that's the kind of mindset I grew up with. That's the negativity I grew up with. We never went to church. We never went to temple. My mom was Jewish. My dad was Catholic, Italian. And he was my stepfather, raised me since I was five years old. And so I really struggled in my 20s, big time, so much so that my wife gave me an ultimatum. She said, if you don't change, we're over. I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. You need to change. And that was a huge wake-up call. And that was the first moment I said, God, why am I here? What am I born to do, God? What is is my purpose? Why am I so miserable? And writing and speaking just kept on coming to me, literally came to me. I'm like, all right, that's what I'm going to do. And I began this journey of a writer and speaker, but more importantly, I began, began the journey of working to become a more positive person, ultimately realizing that my positivity wasn't good enough, that I needed a greater source of positivity. I needed the ultimate positivity. I needed the, the ultimate truth. I needed the ultimate love to, to live through me. And I was saved and gave my life to Jesus when I was 35 years old, all the way back in 2007. It was during that time that, that I began the healing process. Jesus literally started to heal me, transform me, change my life from the inside out. He wants to do the same thing for every one of us, every human being on the planet has a hole in their soul, and they all need healing. They just don't realize it and don't realize that Jesus is the ultimate healer, but it's what they need. And so God wants to walk with us so he can heal us. And then in that healing, what happens is then we become one with him. He takes our burden, takes our pain, takes our sin. So now we can be one with him. Corinthians 6.17, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So now we are one spirit with the creator. We are one with God. And that is his whole goal is for us to experience this oneness with him. And the enemy wants to separate us and divide us. The Old Testament is the story of the separation from God. Genesis, Adam and Eve. It's the separation from each other and from God relationally. The New Testament and Jesus is all about reconciliation, restoration, coming back to oneness. So Jesus literally heals us so we can actually have oneness with him and the Father. So that's oneness. And of that oneness then, we experience the L. That is love. W-H-O-L-E. See, what happens is as we are one with God, we experience this oneness. His nature becomes our nature. His love starts to become our love. His perfect love then helps us cast out fear that we're experiencing. And so love is so much more powerful than fear. I speak to a lot of athletes, and this is my greatest mental performance tool of all, is to focus on love instead of fear. The minute you do that, fear will dissipate as you're focusing on love. I tell them, don't worry about the outcome. Don't worry about the numbers. Don't worry about the performance. Don't worry about making a mistake. Don't worry about social media. Just focus on loving what you do. Focus on loving the moment, loving competing, loving the battle, doing what God called you to do and the love he gave you to do it. Remember that love because that's what you got into this in the first place. Focus on that love. And it's the same thing for you as we're going out there working. Remember, the minute you focus on love, fear will dissipate. Does that resonate? Because we're always being our, having our minds filled with all this fear and anxiety and doubt and worry and clutter and all these negative thoughts. Love is the answer. But our love isn't enough. So the minute you focus on love, guess what? You do perform at a higher level. But when you're allowing God's love, his perfect love, to move through you through oneness, wow, now you truly become a powerful force in the universe. Now you have no fear. You are literally moving forward with God's love. And then that elevates our mind and our soul The e. Elevates our mind and our soul. Jesus talked about the living water to the woman at the well. And I think about this living water. He talked about the spring, the inner spring inside of us. And I think about the word of God and the spirit of God as we become one with God. That spirit, that word literally starts to move through us. It starts to clear out all the debris, all the toxicity, all the past, all the pain. And it renews us and it heals us. It uplifts us and allows us to be who God called us to be. Whole. And so that's the power of love. That's the power of, of wholeness. And as we, as we become more whole and become more one with God and his loving nature becomes our loving nature, then what happens is we actually start to want to serve more. And that's the next word. We then serve. We want to make a greater impact in this world because Jesus taught us to serve and he was the ultimate servant leader. Serve. Are we serving enough? Are we committing enough to others? Are we sacrificing for others enough? See, serving will always look like commitment and sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed for us. It's always gonna cost us something when we serve. And let's face it, it's hard to serve. It's, it's hard to, to sacrifice for others. It's just, we're naturally self focused if we admit it, right? If you don't think we're self focused, next time you take a picture with a group of friends, Who do you look at first? When we take a family picture, if I look really good and my wife doesn't, she's like, this is a horrible picture. If she looks great and I look horrible, it becomes the family picture. I serve and sacrifice for the family picture all the time. But I wasn't always someone who was committed to others, I wasn't serving others. Early in my career, before I found Jesus, I literally was so self focused, I was miserable. See, narcissists actually feel separate. That's why they're narcissists. They actually feel separate. There's actually a division. Even at the neurological level, there's a separation from one part of their brain to the other that causes them to isolate and protect themselves. And interestingly enough, these narcissists, because they feel separate, they don't care about others. They focus just on themselves. And narcissists also suffer from the same issues as other mental health disorders. If you look at all mental health disorders, they all feel separate. They feel alone. They feel isolated. They feel disconnected. So they get depressed and they retreat. And a lot of times they'll focus on self. And so me, I, I guess I had a lot of trauma, had a lot of pain from my past, a lot of challenges, I had a lot of things that needed to be healed. And I felt very separate. And I was just so focused on, on me instead of weight. It was so bad that when my wife was sick and going through some challenges, we're in our 20s and she had to go to the hospital. I didn't even take her. I was too busy working, too busy focused on my success. And I got to tell you, I regret that so much. Now, I wish I could do things differently, but I can't. I can't go backwards. But I got to tell you, the guy who literally wouldn't even take her to the hospital, who was a jerk, who was not there for her, Jesus changed him, and he taught me to love, and he also, through his love and that oneness and a ton of prayer and a ton of surrender, I then became someone who wanted to serve more. Let me give you an example. 2019. I'm speaking to all of the teachers and principals in New York City. It was a great opportunity to make an impact. I loved it. All the city principals, all the schools, it went so well. It was such an energizing day, and we knew my wife and I that we really made a difference that day. We leave we're at the airport. She's heading home to Jacksonville. I'm going to Kansas. I'm another terminal. I get a text from my wife after getting to the other terminal. Honey, honey, I'm about to get arrested. What are you talking about? Get arrested. I call her up. What's going on? What are you talking about? She goes, Don't worry about it. Go on your trip. I'll be fine. She goes, They're putting me in handcuffs. There's three of them. It's the lipstick taser that I had in my bag. We live in Florida. Lipstick tasers are legal. We're a little crazy in Florida, but it's legal. In New York, supposedly, it, it, I guess it's not legal. It's illegal in New York to have a lipstick taser. She forgot it was in her bag. And so when they pulled it out, she said, oh, you can have it. They pressed it. Zut, zut, zut. They go, sorry, ma'am, you have to go to jail. She's like, on the phone, she was like, they're taking me to precinct 137. It's on the property. I don't know where it is, but it's a prison on the property of the airport. Find it. So I call my client. I'm like, listen, hey, uh, I can't make the event. I have to get my wife out of jail. And I began this trek to go help and find my wife. Literally going through the airport, finding my way, literally trying to to figure out where this building is. I, I get information. I find it. It's literally off property. I've got to dodge cars. I almost get hit by New York drivers. It's, it's nuts. I finally get there, and I find the prison. Of course, she's not out there. She's behind bars in a sundress. They literally had her locked up behind bars. And so I'm thinking, what do I do? I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting there, like figuring out something, something I got to do to help get my wife out of jail. And out comes one of the police officers. He's like, okay, uh, so we did a background it's, uh, It's clear your wife's not a terrorist. I'm like, no, she's a housewife. She's not a terrorist. She's a mom. She's a a wife. No. He goes, but we're going to have to move her to the city jail. She's going to have to do trial there. It's Friday. There's the New York City Marathon, so the judge won't be able to see her till Monday or later. So she'll have to stay the weekend in jail. And I'm like, I got to know and figure out how to get my wife out. So I start reaching out to all my friends in New York. I will do whatever it takes get my wife out of jail. And so I'm literally calling. I finally call a friend. He has a good defense lawyer. The guy says, hey, I I, I can help. I know I can help, but it's going to cost $10,000. Like $10,000. I thought, what's the cost for just one night in jail? (laughs) No, $10,000 or nothing. Whatever it takes, let's get her out. So we don't even know if it's going to work or not. Like They're trying. They're using all their different channels and trying to figure out a way. And at the last minute, at the last minute, they said, okay, do you have a relative in New York? Yes, my brother lives in New York. Okay, well, we're going to use that address. That means you're, you know, you're good for coming back, and so they're not worried about you never coming back. You can go home, and then you can come back for your court date. So I got my wife out of jail, and we went home. And my wife said to me, I'll, I'll never forget, she said, She goes, You were the guy who would even help me years ago, and you would not leave me or go on your way without helping me here. Jesus changes you from someone who wouldn't take your wife to the hospital to someone who will get your wife out of jail. <laughs> and that's what happened to me. Everything changed with Jesus, and my wife's thankful for that, especially on that day. And the funny thing is, we, go back to New York, and she gets probation and six months of community service. So I told her, I can't believe I'm married to a criminal. But she did the community service, did the probation, and it's a great lesson. A great lesson. What will you commit to? What will you invest in? How can you change over time to become someone who invests more in the people that you love and make a difference? And yes, it's a funny story, but but it's a very real story. Because the guy in the past, honestly, would not have done that. I literally would have went to my other event, no doubt about it. I would say, "Good luck, honey. Good luck. But everything changes when God heals you, restores you, redeems you. He gets you to focus on loving others and then serving others. A great example of this in sports is Dabo Sweeney. Who here knows Dabo Sweeney? Yeah. So Dabo Sweeney, just such a fun, practical example of this. I'm literally. Visited him about a month ago. And I was just going up to hang out with him. And we're going to play basketball and stuff. He goes, bring your ball shoes. I didn't realize Dabo was so competitive. Like, now I know why Dabo is Dabo. He's the, the most fiercely competitive person I've ever met playing basketball with him. Like, ever. And so he's a fierce competitor. And after basketball, we went to go see the baseball team that was playing. And we're watching the game. And he gets a text. And he's like, okay, hey, you want to come with me? I'm like, where? He goes, I, I got to go help Grigsby, one of my players. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, Rigsby has a girlfriend. She has a poster in her dorm. And the poster in her dorm room is is a poster of me. And they basically asked me to sign it for good luck for the season. And Rigsby told them I would. And so Rigsby then asked me if I would do it. And I I told him, of course, I'll do it. But now it's been about three weeks. I haven't done it yet. And you know what? I've got to do it because I told him I would do it. So just come with me. I'm like, Sure. So there we are now going through the dorms of Clemson, trying to find the dorm room. We finally find Rigsby. And I'm like, this is really strange, but all right, let's keep going. We finally find the dorm room. And there were a bunch of girls in the dorm room. She invited all her friends. So they're all now hanging out. It was supposed to just be her, but now they're all her friends are there. And they're waiting for Dabo. I said, hold on, wait wait here, wait here for a second. So Dabo waits outside. I walk in, I go, hey, guys, I'm sorry, but uh, Dabo couldn't make it. So they sent me instead. So Did you have an idea who I am? They said, no. I said, well, I just speak to the team every year, so they thought I could probably encourage you all. I go, is that okay? They're like, yeah, sure. They were not happy about that. I go, Rigsby, Rigsby. I said, why are they upset? They shouldn't be. He goes, I know because he's here. It was like a TV show, and he comes out. And Dabble comes out to the dorm room, and the girls, they start cheering. It's crazy. It's, it's funny. And so they ask him to sign it, so he signs it, and they're taking pictures. And then, that, then they say, Dab, Dabble, you have to kiss the pitcher now. You have to kiss, like we always kiss him before games. It's, it's good luck, so he kisses the pitcher. Then they tell me I have to kiss the pitcher. Now, I believe in service and sacrifice, but I was not kissing the pitcher. I said, no, no, I'm not kissing the pitcher. I'm not. So They said, all right, just take your fingers and put them on your lips and then touch the pitcher. So I did that. Three days later, I get an email from this guy. Hey, John, love your work. I heard you were in my daughter's dorm room the other day. Not kissing the pitcher. I started laughing. He said, but I thought it was so amazing and so cool that you and Dabo would actually go do that. He's like, the fact that he would do that, wow, talk about commitment to his player. And it's a funny thing, but it's a very real thing. Like, this guy is not even a starter. He's not a big name. And Dabo is so committed to his team, so committed to his player, That's why he wins championships. That's why he built a successful program, because of his commitment. It's the little things he does every day from a commitment standpoint, and it's also the big things he does to show that he is committed to his team and to others. Rigsby now goes and tells his teammates, they know this coach is even more committed than ever. Who else would do that in Division I sports? How many guys would do that? P.J. Fleck, I love what P.J. does. P.J. reads to his players a bedtime children's book before each game on Friday night which I think is really cool. Like every Friday night before the game, he reads the team a children's book and then goes around to each room before bed and says goodnight to them. That's commitment as well. The greatest leaders, the greatest teammates I've ever worked with, they demonstrate the commitment of Jesus in their own unique way. Jesus washed feet. Jesus served and sacrificed for us. He gave his life for us. And the least we can do is demonstrate our commitment to others and just serve and sacrifice. You don't have to be great to serve, but you have to serve to be great. And here's what happens. The more we serve and we help others grow, we improve. The more we help other people get better, we get better. So we live in a world that says, oh, you got to focus on yourself. The greatest self-growth strategy, you got to focus on that. Here's the greatest self-growth strategy, help others grow. When you help others grow, we grow. Help others improve, we improve. That's what service is all about. So it actually is a strategic advantage for success. It's the long game. You don't always have success right away. Dabble didn't have success right away. Not every coach does. You may not have success right away, but you keep on loving, you keep on serving. And over time, people will take notice of what you do, how you perform and how you are and who you are inside. They will experience that. They will feel that. And so the the Christian way, the Jesus way, Is not always the immediate and self-gratification and successful way initially. But over time, over time, the more you love, the more you serve, the more you show that you care. You stand out in a world that doesn't love, doesn't serve, and doesn't care. So that's the last word is care. And when I think of care, I truly think that it is the greatest success strategy of all from a, a business, from a leadership, from a marketplace standpoint. Like when we care, we create more, build more, become more. So many people just don't care. But, but caring helps you move from average to greatness. Literally by caring more and showing up and working harder and being the best you can be every day because you care, that's what truly makes you successful, Just caring. you care? You all care. Can you care more? I believe we can all care a little bit more. But we have to ask ourselves, okay, caring makes it successful, but why should we even care in the first place? Like, why does caring even matter when you think about it? Like, why does caring matter? Why do we care? Well, as you become one with God and one with him, you then want to go after the one and you want to help the one. We care because actually in every moment, every moment is an eternal moment, Make an eternal impact. Appearance is temporary, but essence is eternal. We have a soul, we are a spirit, and our soul is the eternal part of ourselves that lives forever. We live in this temporary reality. And so, in this temporary reality, right, why should you even care if this world is temporary? If it's just about Heaven, why should you even care about making a difference right now? Well, it's to help people make a difference. But those people you help are all going to die. And then their kids are going to die. And everybody we help in all the future generations will all die. So why does it matter? It's a philosophical question, but, and it's a deep question, but it allows us to really understand what, what Jesus was trying to tell us. Be in the world, but not of the world. The kingdom of God is inside of you. When you are joined to the Lord in one spirit with him, you are connected to the eternal God. His eternal spirit and your spirit are now one spirit, and that is eternal life in that moment. So every moment you care, every moment you love, every moment that you serve is an eternal moment to make an eternal impact. If the kingdom of God is inside each person, as Jesus tells us, then when you're impacting someone's life, you're impacting the kingdom. And if the kingdom is that eternal part within us, and our soul is within us, then the key is to always live from the inside out. What he taught us, the power is inside of us, not outside of us. It's within us to make an impact in this world. And our jobs as as Christians is to bring heaven to earth and make earth like heaven. What does that mean? What does it mean to bring heaven to earth and earth like heaven? Well, if the kingdom is within us, then guess what? Heaven is within us. And every moment we love, we serve, we care. Every moment we bring joy. Every moment we are we are doing something to help another soul, another person, to, to, to bring justice to this world, to help people in this country and across the world and make one life better. Every moment we do that is literally an eternal impact that echoes throughout eternity because that is bringing heaven to this reality from within us, the kingdom to this world right here, right now. That is the power. See, Christians get saved. But kingdom men and kingdom women, they're here to make earth like heaven. It's a little different. and It's a different mindset. And so I want to charge you. I want to challenge you that loving, serving, caring is the way to do that. But this is the why we should do that. This is the why. Because every time you do that in this life, right here, right now, It's a soul impact on you and a soul impact on others. Does that make sense? Eternal, an eternal essence living in this temporary reality. Every moment we're making an impact, we're bringing the eternal to this reality right here, right now. And that's what Jesus taught us. That's what I write about in The One Truth. And it's deep, but that's the end of the book. The beginning is very practical. And helping people understand the impact that they can have as they become more one, more mentally healthy. More joy, more peace, more power, more purpose. A team that is united and connected, one team is a powerful team. A team that is divided and separate is a very weak team. An individual that is united and connected experiences more power, more joy, more peace, more love, more purpose. Someone who feels very disconnected feels a lot of clutter, anxiety, worry, fear, stress, doubt, and insecurity. Guys, we're not meant to go through this life chronically stressed, worried, anxious, cluttered, fearful, and insecure all the time. It's so common, and so many people are going through it right now, and so many people are losing the spiritual battle, that it's actually become normalized. We as a society, it's become normal to feel this way, because we see someone, so many going through it. But let me tell you something, it's not normal. It's okay to be going through that. It's okay. There's no judgment there. We have to understand what's really going on because we have a world that is going through a battle and they have no idea they're in a battle. They think it's a playground. No, it's a battleground. And once you understand this, what I shared today, the one truth, and we love serve, and care, then we become that powerful force in this world that God created us to be. See, what's normal is to go through life with power, with joy, with peace, with love, with purpose, with courage, and with confidence to make an impact in this world. To have power to transform this world, not to allow the world to transform us. We transform this world, and that is what this team is all about. Am I right? That's what we have to do. It's a small group right now. Guess what? The group's going to grow, and the movement is going to grow, and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And that is our job because life is short. My family and I, we were traveling from, from L.A. going back to Jacksonville. We got above the clouds. As we got above the clouds... I heard boom. We all heard boom. Big loud bang. Pilot comes on the the loudspeaker. Mechanical failure, mechanical failure. We're gonna try an emergency landing back at LAX. He did not mean to say that over the loudspeaker. And all I heard was the word try. Try an emergency landing. He turns around and next thing you know, we go down so fast that we think we are crashing. My daughter's right in front of me. My wife and son, they're behind here. And my daughter's like, dad, dad, should I be scared? I was like, yes. I admit, I was full of fear in that moment. I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of dying a horrific death, but I'm not afraid of death. And so, so all of a sudden we think we're crashing. I mean, we are terrified. We are scared. It is, it is, it is rough. And as we're going down, like I'm literally tweeting, like, I'm like, like, this whole thing, like, I don't even want to say what I said, but, it, but it, was, it was, looking back, it was hilarious. That's how close we thought we were to death. So, next thing you know, we all of a sudden we start gliding in. And all of a sudden we glide in more. Engines go off. And somehow, some way, we made it. Ambulance come, the fire engines come. Turns out they actually how were blowing out the engine that blew up. It caught on fire. And so they, were, they blew out the, the fire by going down really fast, the way you would blow out a candle. That's how they get rid of it. So all of a sudden, we now glided in, and my son and I, we are walking off the plane together. And my son had been struggling with his his mental health a little bit, enemy attacking him in, in big ways. And he put his arm around me, and he said, Dad, I get it now. He said, God's not done with us yet. There's more work for us to do. Guess what? God is not done with any of us yet. We're here right now, and there is work to be done. There are lives to be touched. There is a marketplace to be impacted. There is a kingdom to be built. And guess what? You all are the people to go do it. The genius is not up here. I always say the genius is in the audience. My job, my goal, my mission is to unleash it. I hope I did that today.
0: If you wanna take part in the 2024 Christians Working in Sports Conference next summer in Minneapolis, Minnesota on June 21st and 22nd, visit the CWS Conference website by clicking the link in the description of this podcast. If you liked this podcast, be sure to catch new episodes of the Uncommon Podcast every other week on Thursdays at midnight Eastern time. Until next time, we pray that you will strive to be uncommon by glorifying the name of God in whatever you may do. See you soon.